0: Hello Nathan, welcome to the show. Firstly, happy birthday for the other day. Thank you on your fortieth. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit older. Yeah, so I'm thirty plus fat. I was going to say a lot of us <laughs> are at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But congratulations, many thank you. more Muzhov and thank you, thank uh, you. Um, yeah. Also, another congratulations as we get in is this nomination. I mean, the Boxing Writers Association of America. Um, the nomination obviously you didn't win but i mean it's prestigious company man well done and and it's for a job well done not just in 2022 but you know you've been consistent over many years yeah uh so historically it's been going since 1926
1: and i become the first south african trainer to ever be nominated so i was just like crazy when i actually found out on twitter cuz they the boxing writers association of america actually like uh tagged me in their tweets for the nomination and i was like reading this, reading this, and I saw the link and I saw like trainers and I saw these na- and I saw Colin Nathan. I'm like,
0: wait, I- that's me. I'm like, Yeah. Like <laughs> well, what's going
1: on here? Is it a joke? You know? So I was, I was really gobsmacked and blown away. Um, yeah, just, you know, like I started in the sport cause I just wanted to, to, to you know, boxing given me a very special life and I just wanted to, to make, make a difference, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Tyler was like, my my technical producer. Please do, please mention the nomination. Please don't forget the nomination. I'm like, it's here. I've got it on the iPad. We're good. Um, and big shout out to Tyler. The coffee is delicious. What the do coffee's you think, great. Hey? Bad, I, the eh? Coffee's
1: The great, and I love the the mugs. All right, yeah. cool. Very cool.
0: When our budget improves, we'll be able to take <laughs> mugs home. Okay. You got a pretty neat studio. It looks sick, man. Thanks, man. Um, but while we are on the 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 whole boxing journey, I I've a, I'm a, I'm a fan. You know, as as a journalist, a sports journalist, I sh- shouldn't be a fan. I can be behind the scenes, but not obviously when I'm doing stories and that, because you have to be accountable at the same time. But my man, you have grafted, you've hustled um, for many years, and reading a couple articles on you, you were the youngest ever gym, uh, boxing gym owner, 2000, is that right? 2022, but also the youngest cornerman in South African boxing
1: history, which will never be broken, and I explained to you why. So when I was 10 years old, I used to, I was taken to the boxing gym and and went to boxing tournaments at the age of seven, right? But then I started tagging into the corner of my late father at the age of 10. And the late Marcus Temple in Cape Town used to chase me away. (laughs) And then after one of the events, he went up to my father in front of me and said, look, the act says there's no age limits for a second's license. And that was the old act before the 2002, 2003 act. So now you've got to be 18. So I got licensed in 1990. I was 12 years old at the time. And it's a record in South African boxing that will never be broken. I'm very proud of that fact. And like when I tell people I started taping hands and working in the corner when, when I was 12, they, they give me skew looks like,
0: really? So, yeah, that's it's, it's a big thing for me. You like breaking records, though. You like setting the bar high. I mean, just – and we'll get into your stable of fighters in, in a minute, but – your, your dad uh, and I constantly see on social media, you, you know, on the anniversary of his passing, he played a huge role in your life. Yeah, he really did. And, uh, yeah, sure, goosebumps when I think about it.
1: It's because of him that I, I, I'm – I don't want to say I'm, I, I'm here because of him. But he gave me the introduction to, mm. to this beautiful, brutal sport. And I'm forever grateful. Like, I, I, I can't imagine my life without boxing. Mm. I mean, boxing has pretty much dominated my life since since I got up here boxing gloves at the age of four and then just nagging and nagging until I was taken to the boxing gym at the age of seven. But just yeah, I just like and I often think about him, like the big fights, you know, or or, or tight fights and I'm just often thinking to myself in the dressing room or in the corner, I was like, Dad, just just please watch over me and my athlete, man. Just you know, just look after us. And and my one dream, which obviously will never never happen, but I know he's there, is I just wish that he could have been with me in a high level fight, just by my side, being in the corner, you know. And but you know, one day when my soul leaves this body, uh, I think our souls will connect again, and we can have a good laugh about my career. And I think I think he'd be proud. In fact, I know he'd be proud of me. So I just wanted to be different growing up. Yeah. And, and I think I am. I'm not your typical Jewish boy. Um, I didn't study a degree. I didn't, you know, I'm not a lawyer. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think God's put me on this path. And I think I'm loving this path. And I often think that I don't think I chose boxing. I think boxing chose me. But it's a love affair that's carried on since for 41 years now. And it's a love affair that will never, ever die and end.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. When, when, in 2000, when you, you started your first gym, Were you like, this is where I need to be? This is my happy place? What was going through your mind at that time? Because that was bold, man. Yeah, so I was actually a a, a Simonia presenter on SABC1.
1: One one of those young guys talking about about days of our lives (laughs) and bold and beautiful (laughs) after the ad break. And I I wanted to kind of do something else with my life because I didn't want to... I knew that you know I couldn't be a TV presenter, a young TV presenter for the rest of my life. And I thought maybe I should start getting into boxing. So I went to... Miami actually in 1999 and I saw this concept of you know going to a boxing gym but you didn't have to be a boxer you could train there commercially but you could train like a boxer even though you weren't one and I liked that idea and then there was boxer size that just started booming in Johannesburg and I thought, let me open up my own gym commercially. I didn't want to get into pro boxing at the time because I just thought, you know, boxers were full of shit. And I was thinking like, <laughs> I don't need Has the headache. Changed? Yeah, um, <laughs> There's some beautiful athletes no, out there. Are, but I mean, yeah. listen, in every aspect of business, there's always amounts of shit that you've got to deal with, right? So um, corporate, you know, not corporate, it is what it is. And then what happened was, because I was still do, still moonlighting between being a TV presenter, we'd go to all the boxing shows And next thing, a fighter approached me and said, would you manage me? And I was like, okay, I love the challenge. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. um, But, I mean, I could coach because I did my sports performance in the Sports Science Institute in Cape Town through ETA. So that was my base. So so I wanted to actually get into personal training and personal boxing training. And then as I got approached by a boxer – So one guy joined me, um, then another guy joined me, then another. So my first fighter came to me with six wins, three losses and a draw. He left me with 11 wins, three losses and a draw. Fortunately, we fell out and fortunately he passed away. Andres Dickman, soul rest in peace, was my first athlete who was older than me at the time. When I started, I was 22 years old and all my fighters at that stage were older than me. Um, I mean, I remember going to a weigh-in. And the fight commissioner would say, who are you fighting? I was like, no, 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 I'm not the fighter, I'm the coach, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and then just I thought like with that turnaround with, your, you know, the five wins on a trot with a fighter, I thought maybe I could make a career out of this. And a lot of people at the time were saying, you're wasting your time in boxing, don't do it, there's no money in it, you know? But I never listened to them. Like, don't tell me I can't do something. And I think that's where I get my fire from. Yeah. That's that fire deep inside. And I don't, and I don't quit. Yeah. I don't quit. Um and I think that's where, where like my upbringing came because I had a hard upbringing as a kid growing up. And um, I Cape wasn't Cape Town, easy. right? Cape Town, I'm a yeah. Cape Town boy, yeah. 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 And, um, and I think just, just perseverance and, and tenacity, like I don't quote. So don't tell me I'm gonna not be able to do it because just out of spite, I'm gonna prove to you that I can. I'm very competitive. Um, and I think that's also what drives me is my competitiveness. Um, so, and that's how it started. So like, I didn't really want to, and then, uh, eventually, you know, my focus became on, on coaching. And and if I look back to where I was then to where I'm now, I probably, I probably didn't know what I was doing, to be honest, but I was winning more fights than I was losing. And that's how I've always gauged it. When someone says to you, well, how are you doing? Well, as long as I'm winning more fights than I'm losing, I think, they, I think you're on the right path, you know? That win percentage. Yeah, cor- cor- correct. Correct.
0: <laughs> um, speaking of which. It's been this evolution, though, hasn't it? Because boxing is, has given you a decent living. Um, you've seen the world. I have. I mean, Mexico is somewhere you seem to be hanging out quite a bit late.
1: <laughs> so I've been to 29 countries for boxing. That's amazing. I mean, Japan's incredible. America's incredible. Canada's incredible. The UK's incredible. Denmark, of all places. I've uh, been to some African countries as well, which is like an eye-opener.
0: Um, I... I, Sorry, go ahead. I know. I'm, I'm, I think you're going to say what I'm about to ask you because I remember chatting to you in the pandemic. Right. When you were uh, in uh, Russia, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've been and to Russia got, as well. But you I, got sick. I got very sick. I had COVID. And you were in a
1: Russian hospital for four weeks on my back.
0: Four weeks. Yeah. So
1: I was supposed to go for a week. And I ended up being in Russia for five and a half weeks. It was a crazy story, right? So it was the Delta variant. And that was probably the most brutal. Guys were yeah. dying from that. Um, and I was the only, you know, you were in my gym. I was the only clown wearing a mask. And I was like...
0: You were actually was, quite paranoid. I you? was paranoid. Yeah.
1: In fact, I remember you coming in and you were in my office. And you were like, you and I were like... Okay, can we do this interview? We can take the masks off, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah. But generally, on the floor, I was always, always anal about wearing a mask, yeah. always. And then, so I went with Rayno Liebenberg. I'm sure we'll talk about him in the show later. And we went with the whole team, and you know, we were flying. You know, I was next to him. I was working with him in the gym uh, without a mask in Russia, but outside, again, I was the only team team member wearing a mask, and everyone thought I was crazy. He tests negative. I test positive. I was like. What's going on here, you yeah, know? How does that work? And I was like, I disputed it. You know, like I thought the Russians were like <laughs> trying to they're like, get to me. And I remember, I remember like phoning the promoters. So like, now's not fighting. He was like, what do you mean? I'm like, he's just not fighting. And they were like, you know, we don't control your tests. I was like, okay. So the next thing I started getting very sick and then by Russian uh, health law, I had to go to uh, a hospital to be checked out. And I ended up having covid and I had 13 tests, 11 were positive and two were negative and
0: so you needed two back I've had i had a right
1: no, so the first test I tested positive, which was entered into the Russian National health system. so by law, I had to go to a hospital yeah. for as a foreigner, but then I, I requested a second test, but that was I don't know if I should sh- say this on your show, but it was kind of like one of those backstreet tests <laughs> where I kind of did it myself, and I came back negative. I was like cool. But at that stage, I started feeling really sick. And I was like, and then I went for the third test. And that test result just took forever. And I was like, what's going on? And at this stage, like, I was sick. But I was thinking, maybe it's just my anxiety kicking in. Maybe mentally I'm feeling like, sick, you know, like, and then they wouldn't give me my results. It was just bizarre. And the next thing, like, this doctor, I was pandemonium at the hotel, I remember. And... Uh, it was like a whole bunch of people, and I was like, man, just relax. So the doctor comes in, checks me out. He says, yeah, yeah, uh, w- you know, we're waiting for your result, but you have to go in. But it was the same night, same day as the event. Oh, man. So it was just crazy, and I was like, okay, cool. So I'll, I can do like a rapid test. They're like, nah, you gotta, you got to stand for observation. So at this point, I knew. I wasn't going to be with my athlete for his contest, which broke me. I mean, I, I, it still upsets me. And then I had to stay in the compi- compound of my my hotel room. They wouldn't allow me out. And the next thing, the ambulance came like an hour and a half later, and that hour and a half felt like, it felt like two days. I was just <laughs> like, ah. Oh. And then literally all these guys from this hospital came, came, I was like, they ushered me from my hotel room through. And I just remember then, like, walking past oh you know, yeah, yeah, it was crazy, you know? it was crazy. And I remember walking past Rayna and like obviously at this stage, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was negative or positive, but I was sick. And I was like, I felt like someone had died when I walked past the team because he knew like I wouldn't be there. Yeah. You know, and I just said, Go and fight your ball sack off, you know. Uh, he ended up losing a decision. Um, I think I think the score lines I could have made because I watched the fight and that's another story. I don't know if we have time for that. And I just felt that there were so many windows of opportunity that had I been there, I could have seen. Um, I thought he lost, but I do think that had I been in the corner, I mean, again, I'm not God, but I think we could have made the score lines a lot tighter, tighter fights, and you never know. Mm. But um, went into the hospital, and yeah, it was just crazy, That's bad. crazy story. Crazy so story. Four, what, five weeks? Three weeks and six days in the hospital. Oh, man. Um, had pneumonia in my left lung. Uh, I had a uh, sinus infection. I had a sinus puncture, which they had to they had to sort out not once but twice. A lot of pain. It was probably the sickest I've ever felt in my life. And your I've, family's obviously stressed at home. It well, it's just crazy because the hardest part about everything was my little girl saying to me, Daddy, when are you coming home? And that broke me. I cried right. three times when I was in, in Russia. One, when I got told I had pneumonia. Three weeks in when I told I had, or got told because I thought I was leaving the day I had a sinus infection, and three when I got my negative result because I knew it was like let 's go champ it 's home time you know so it was just very traumatic yeah, I um, my, my psycholo- psychologist uh, Cole, who have to mention, uh, stayed in touch with me he 's been my guy for the last twenty years, uh, various issues in my life because you know I'm, we all issued at some, some some degree he uh he, he called me for lunch just to and I think it was more just to, as reconnaissance to see mentally if I was okay but um it was a crazy
0: scary time in my life it really really was it really really was i uh, i uh yeah you said all these countries you've been to, but there was something that you just mentioned now with when you're cornering and you see your your fighter, your athletes doing something and and obviously in between rounds you you coach you get them right but Throwing in the towel is also a difficult one because I'm sure there are times where, and it hasn't been from a lack of preparation or game plan, it's just that your athlete's taking damage and it's yeah. for their long-term health and yeah. you have to make that call because it's your responsibility at the end. Of yeah, the day. so uh, in 2008, a long time ago, I, I
1: made a critical error where my ego overruled my, my logic and I, uh, I let a fight go on too long and my fighter ended up collapsing because a lot of disdain for the coach that I was going up against, Um, who's passed away. And I realized then, and my fighter recovered, Mm. Um, he had a sugar issue, but he collapsed, yeah. 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 But it was very scary, and I took it really, really hard to the point where I was crying in my office the next day, Mm -hmm. and the next two days, Um, and I thought to myself, (sighs) you know, like, either I'm gonna learn from this or I'm gonna turn my back on the sport Mm because it is a brutal sport. And was
0: it that was the, that how badly it affected you that you were considering turning your back on um, books at that point?
1: Yeah, wow. I, I took I took it hard. I took it really hard because there was there were some really negative reports about yeah. me in the paper saying that I should have been suspended and 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 those were warranted. And I, I've still got those clippings and those, those cutouts because one of my other hobbies is um, my scrapbooks from all the articles of the years. And I take the bad with the good. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. you know, you gotta accept That's defeat and, and yeah, exactly. And you gotta accept criticism, yeah. which I couldn't do early on in my career. Uh, and now I, I just simply, you know, if it's warranted, I'll listen. If people just say you're a shit trainer, okay, cool, whatever, or Colin's an asshole, okay, cool, whatever. You've Be never fine. said two days, you've never said two words to me. <laughs> you haven't even said low, but if you think I'm an asshole, okay, cool. You're not gonna pay my bills, so I don't care. Um, We'll talk about my haters because I actually I get off on my haters. Don't worry, we're we're getting (laughs) we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. So, so, Tyler's uh, looking at me like, keep
0: going, keep going. (laughs)
1: Um, I I, yeah, I made a mistake. Uh, Yes, I made a mistake, and I'm human. And after that lesson, because it was a harsh lesson, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were there were articles written abroad about my my conduct in the corner, letting that fight go. And then you just realize now that you know what you can't let your ego overrule mm-hmm. your logic and sense in that corner because someone's life is in your hands, yeah. and I take that incredibly seriously. Look, a lot of people backed me, um, a lot of my fans, I guess, were saying, "Oh, well, the referee could have stopped it." Oh, there was also a doctor, or you know, but you know, the sole responsibility at that moment mm-hmm. to, in August 2008 was my responsibility, and I, I cocked it up. Since then, I've made really good judgment calls. Yep. And I have stopped fights. I've yep. kept fighters in the corner. I've thrown in the towel. Um, because I just look at it now, and I came under criticism a few years ago when I stopped Techie's world title fights. Um, he was edging on in the early rounds. Middle rounds was close. In the last few rounds before that, his punches were losing shape. Mm. He was sick going into the fight. And... I stopped it because at that moment, it's not about the fighter. The fighter's going to have a future after boxing. Yeah. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids. It's my responsibility to make sure that that fighter can see his kids, can walk down the aisle, can dance with his wife, can see his grandkids. You know, so it's not just about that moment. Yeah. And and when it comes down to winning at all costs, unfortunately, sometimes it's not about that because it's about. The human elements, the compassion, the empathy of of a fighter taking too many shots. It's not like tennis where you can have a bad game and come back and win Wimbledon. You can take a bad shot in boxing and you can never, ever be the same. I often say in my interviews, uh, CS, that fighters walk into the ring being one way and they can walk out of the ring being another way. And they can never get that one way back again. Mm. And that's why boxing is such a brutal sport. But... You need to understand the love I have and the beauty that boxing does present itself and, and the opportunity that it does to change lives. I mean, I, I, I'm not in dollar sense, but I made a few millionaires through their fists. And I'm proud of the fact that I can make millionaires and change lives. And it's not just about being world champions. I made millionaires without them being world champions. Um, and it's something that I really, really pride. So if someone says to me, oh, what do you do for a living? I say, i make dreams come true.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of that, uh, you mentioned Hecky. That's a special relationship. You guys go way back. He, he's one of the greatest South Africa as the world has ever seen. Um, but he's not done yet. And in Mexico, a lot of people, I think, had written him off because it was enemy territory. The, the odds were stacked against him. Yet... He came through, and he's in the conversation now for, for bigger and better things. Tell, tell me more about your relationship with, with hecky and, and how special it is, because I can see you two, it's more than just a friendship between you yeah, guys. Yeah, so,
1: so, yeah, he, hecky is definitely my signature guy. I mean, every trainer, um, coach, and, and manager has their signature guy, and he's my guy, you know. Uh, saw him in 2006 at an amateur box and dine. I was kind of loved it for his fight. I Look, looked at this kid and I thought, because I'd read about him, and I thought, man, this kid's just got the fire in his belly. Yeah. There's something special about him. And then through a mutual party, party we we connected. And then I uh, invited him around my, to my gym. Obviously, followed his amateur career for the last year. And the whole plan was for him to go to the Olympics. So I met his mom and dad and family, and they were really very, very warm and, and loving toward me. And then there was an administrative issue, uh, a personal issue within the Sonobo team with Heki, and his father phoned me and said, look, my son's turning pro with you. And I said, yeah, well, you know, this was 2007. I said, yeah, so we'll do it after the Olympics, Olympics, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, no, 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 my son's turning pro with you now. And I was like, I remember I was going through, through a, a hectic divorce. Um, and emotionally I was just like kind of all over the place. And I was just really, really in a dark place. I remember having, um, my firstborn Daniel on my lap when the phone call happened. And I was like, you know, like when one phone call can literally change your career. And that was it. And like the next day I was like, let's get him, get his blood work done, get him licensed. And I remember, I remember heck his mom at the time was so pissed at me because she, she had, she like every young fighter wants their Olympic birth. And I was I was unproven at that stage in my career. You know, Heckey took one hell of a gamble. And we had and I think what's so special about the relationship is besides obviously the love that I have for him and all my fighters that I represent, is that we we had the opportunity. Heckey had the opportunity and gave me the opportunity for us to grow together. You know, for me to develop as a coach. So my boxing IQ and how I could read a fight was re- always really solid. But in terms of coaching, I was still improving, And I was mm-hmm. still wet behind the ears. But the relationship between us was so strong. And the belief between us was so strong that we had the opportunity for both of us to grow together. And the one mistake I made was, I mean, Heckey and I did literally everything together. And when he had his first loss professionally, man, I was so down. Like, I've tried a few times after I've lost, um, after I've lost, but that was the one time. And then I realized, you know, like, I'm I just too close to, to Hex. And I, it's not that I don't love him, but there's got to be that separation, you know. Yeah. And since then, it's, it's, you know, we learn from the loss. Yeah. We definitely mature. Some fighters only develop in their careers after they lose. It's bizarre, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you've got this whole Mayweather syndrome being unbeaten. You've got to be the best of all time. It's the exception that's to the that, th- rule, though. That's, yeah, and he was smart the way he did yeah, his boxing yeah. business, in fairness. And he was great. You can't say that Mayweather wasn't great. I mean, it's a debate that we, you know, these young kids think oh, well, he was unbeaten. He's got to be the greatest of all time. That's such bullshit. You see, you can't compare him to Walker Smith, Sugar Ray Robinson, who's the greatest fighter in boxing history, period. You know, uh, the guy that's had 199 thing. wins, 14 yeah. losses. Got stopped. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You He's, are an encyclopedia of boxing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like. That's uh, – <laughs> uh, of my high school because I got lost in, in boxing, boxing magazines. Bought my first boxing magazine Amazing. when I was nine years old.
0: Sorry, I interrupted you. Carry So,
1: so, um, so so some fighters only develop after they lose. And Hecky developed after his first loss. And then he went on this incredible run. Now, if you're asking me, I always knew Hecky was special. And I always knew Hecky could be a world champion. Did I think he'd be ring magazine belts and two legit weight class world, champ in, in world championships? I dreamed of it. Yeah. I dreamed of it. I mean, when he won the ring belt when we were in Japan, because I don't party or drink, um, but we were, we were in the, I remember coming back because it was a day show and we were in the lift and we went downstairs to, uh, how we celebrated was I think he had a custard pudding and had a chocolate mousse in Japan and we we're in the lift and I looked at him and it was just him and I. And I looked at him, and I said, Hex, can you believe what we've just done? Like, can you believe what you've just done? He was like, nope. We just kind of smiled and were like, <laughs> like the magnitude of the win, the odds of 17 to one against us going to Japan when I'd had a fallout with uh, my f- previous promoter, no one gave us a chance. Yeah. And it was very similar to Mexico, actually, because the odds were 11 to one. Yeah, uh, Elwin Stratus is a devastating puncher. And even my friends didn't think we would win, but that's okay, you know. But again, don't tell me something I can't do because I know I'm going to prove you wrong. And deep in my heart, when you've got the right athlete, boxing is a lot like chess. When you've got the right chess piece, you're always going to win the match.
0: Yeah. Did you come up with executioner? Yes. So you claim... Y- yes, okay. that's my nickname for him. Because yeah, I Hexecutioner thought is it, world-class. I just thought it would work, you know, because
1: <laughs> also what, what, what he would do before his fights, he would always, or after his fights, he'd always do a sign of X. And I was like, so Executioner, Hexecutioner, and I just, it's stuck.
0: Okay, it's not an Orlando Pirates fan. Uh, or, the, you have West to Ham ask him about <laughs> but I, I don't think so. We'll get him in on yeah, the show sometime. That. But you've also had some incredible other athletes. I think Maruti is one of them, uh, you know... He had the longest uh, unbeaten run. Um, I think of Reno, I think of uh, Jesse, who's just joined you. Has has he come back to South Africa to join you? Oh, DJ Krill. I mean, Jesse Krill. I'm thinking of the rugby player now. I don't even know who that is. He's quite a muscular Springbok rugby player. Okay. but it Shows how much I know but about DJ other DJ Creel, yeah. So I, guess, I gave DJ his nickname as well. DJ The Real Creel. Okay.
1: And Head of the Shredder, I gave her that nickname Okay, too. I was about yeah, to ask you now. So yeah, yeah. is that so,
0: part of the business? <laughs>
1: uh, I just, I like being creative. You know, just something different. We, we, we... Um, We've got a new kid who's going to be making his debut, St. Joshua Feldman, who, who's Jewish. And it's like a rarity in South African boxing to have a Jewish fighter. So Bazooka Chewing Gum is Israeli brand. So we're either going to call him the Yidden Bazooka or the Kosher Bazooka. <laughs> so I just think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something different amazing, and it's yeah. nice. And, you know, like, uh, but... Yeah, I've had some incredible, incredible athletes. So DJ is back. He's yeah. back in South Africa. When he was world champion, I was still managing him. Yeah, you that's why I said yeah. there is
0: still a connection before he left for the US. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was
1: co-managing him yeah. even though I was here in South Africa when he won the world title. Yeah, yeah. And He's that a lovely was lovely guy. One of the nicest kids you'll look Like a lot of the guys, most no, oh, I'd say well, we have a very humbling, humble environment in the gym. It's it's very family kind of orientated. Yeah. Um, I've and seen one, him
0: his wife bring their little one in. Yeah, yeah, exactly, it's so cool, exactly,
1: you know? exactly. And and I'd like to think all the guys in my team are team players. Yeah. And we've seen that with DJ and Heckey looking after Siva nineteen on Chinga for his world title I fight. You know. To, so, yeah. so kind of the <laughs> same weight. Yeah,
0: fighter. Yeah, athlete. Sorry,
1: athlete. Fighter. Would athlete. you
0: prefer to say athlete or fighter? Because I know with EFC and MMA they have tried to shift from fighter to athlete. Um, is boxing the same?
1: Yeah, I call my fighters athletes. I Because mean, they are athletes at the end of they the day are. who um, fight. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I like using both terms.
0: Yeah. Um, but speaking about, you know, this, this sort of generation, I mean, you've got this great team that you've put around. You've got a good stable of athletes. Now, what excites you about the current fighters you have? Because DJ, Hecky, all these guys, um, the, the kosher guy who's going <laughs> to come through um, – they all seem to be able to disrupt their divisions, if I can put it that way, and dominate. So, what gets me going is talent. Yeah. Uh, I think I've got a good eye for talent and I love hanging out with talent,
1: you know. So, and, and also, you know, I see I love the business component to boxing. You know, when I was younger, I didn't really care, I just wanted to fight and stuff. Now I look at it and it's like, okay, a, t- a talented kid walks into your life. Like, what possibilities, what opportunities can you create for that kid? Like, how can you take him from A to B and all the way through to Z, you know? So I look at that, like, I look at charisma, I look at marketability, I look at looks, I look at, you know, you put a microphone in front of someone, can someone sell themselves? And charisma is not always about opening your mouth and and selling, you know, it's about, you know, sometimes charisma is through your fists, you know, and we saw that with Manny Pacquiao, you know, when he broke over into America, his English really wasn't that good. And as he started developing into the superstar, his English became better and better and better. And he's singing. And he's singing. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I look at all those components. But I I also just – I love fighters. Mm. I find fighters so fascinating. And in, in, in the beginning, I, I was fascinated by trainers. But they were bullshit and lie. You know, like, oh, yeah, we were going to win this final. But fighters I find so pure and innocent and and real. Why I love boxing so much is it's an honest, real sport. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a conversation between two guys in the ring that just – I find find it like intoxicating. Even guys who – you know, I watch a fight on TV or I'm in a fight and these guys really don't have a lot of skill – but last year particularly, I saw one fight that ended up in being a four-round draw. But these guys absolutely destroyed each other for four rounds. For me, it was a fight of the year. Um, and I was on the SABC broadcast that I was doing. But, you know, they're never going to be world champions. But they just let it all hang out in the ring. It was like – and they were just two great human beings. And I just think it's such an honest conversation between two men in a ring or two women in a ring – and it's just such an honest, honest sport. I've always said boxing is parallel to life. And sometimes life can be unfair. Equally, mm-hmm. so can boxing. Um, but also, you know, do you believe in miracles? Because I do. I, I believe in miracles. Yeah. Um, I have a special needs son at home. And he is my miracle child, Jamie shy, uh, uh, Sweet Cheeks. He is, he is just a blessing in my life. And a lot of people can say, oh, shame. Or, you know, like it's so hard. It's not hard. And don't say shame. You know, just give me love and energy because you know, l- life is, is very unpredictable. There are no guarantees in life. And Jamie's taught me that, but equally so is boxing. And I'm very grateful for Jamie and my kids. I love all my kids. Don't get me wrong. Daniel, Kyla, big shout out to you guys. <laughs> um, but uh, boxing is just... Like I always say to my young fighters, and this is the truth about the sport... If you're not prepared to get your heart broken, don't be in boxing. Because at some point, it's going to break your heart. At some point. But the, the highs and the wins and the love far outweigh the heartbreaks in the sport.
0: You are a student of the game, and you have this unquenchable, quenchable, 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 quenchable. I need some more coffee. Um, <laughs> desire to acquire knowledge. And if I look at some of the trainers that you've learned from, Freddie Roach jumps at me, an incredible, incredible trainer. Um, Tell us a bit more about that interaction and and what you've taken from him because it's clearly rubbed off on you.
1: Yeah, so Freddie's been
0: a major influence in my boxing
1: career from a coaching perspective, from a coaching perspective. So in 2010, Hekki and I were scheduled to go to Laredo, Texas for an undercard fight. And I had some spare time afterwards and I wanted to I wanted to work shadow a, a top trainer. And I, I just felt that my contemporaries here in South Africa probably wouldn't want to share their knowledge. Um, and I understand that. And I thought to myself, well let me let me go to the States. And there were two trainers on my on my list. One was Teddy Atlas and the other was Freddie Roach. And at the time my promoter said, Oh, we'll write letters to the various gyms to, to try and get you in. But I did one better. I had a friend of a friend who actually was uh, working at the Wildcard, who knew Freddie really well. And she put me – I got in touch with her and I asked her, would you speak to Freddie for me? And just say there's a young South African trainer who wants to work shadow him. And I'll come out for a couple of weeks and just ask him if he'd be okay with me shadowing him. And I got a response back within 12 hours saying, come through. Oh, wow. So – After Lurito, I I flew to LA and I stayed there for a couple of weeks and literally I got picked up by this girl, Uh, Natasha, big shout out to her as well if she ever listens to this podcast and she literally introduced me to Freddie and we formed a great relationship to the point where the next year I went, stayed at Freddie's apartment, Um, Freddie was really, really good to me. started working in the corner with him. I actually was there once for Pacquiao camp, which was really, really cool. Wow. Yeah, So I got to meet Pacquiao as well. I also went to a Pacquiao fight, which was incredible with Maruti fighting on the undercard, which was just insane for South African boxing That's at amazing. the time. Yeah, um, in Malaysia. Um, but just just, just seeing, I met Sylvester Stallone there actually. I've seen that yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sly, Sly walked in, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. I was like, hey Sly, what's up? Can I take a picture with you? Yeah, and like, yeah, it was very cool. Um, uh that's amazing so, so yeah yeah so Freddie, you know just and but the thing is when when i started you know working and, and seeing how Freddie was operating all of the stuff that i was doing with him when i got back like didn't kick in straight away it was only six six months to a year after i was like wait a minute that's okay like that's all making sense you know again it goes back to chess pieces like doing this move what's the counter position for that Why are you doing that? Why are you standing in that position? What's a better position than that? What's the counting position? We're standing a little bit too side on, standing a little bit more square. So those kind of techniques and stuff only kicked in long after I did my first stint with Freddie.
0: Okay. Look, I mean, it's fascinating because I think in in any sport, it's all about acquiring knowledge. And from guys that are doing it a certain way, you take out, you put in, see what works, what changes. But I think you found your space in the South African boxing landscape, the African boxing landscape. I mean, you're now dealing with some of the biggest promoters in the world, right? I mean... That's crazy. It's mad. Like, I'm excited to hear what the future holds. With your your management, with promoting stuff, what's on the horizon? What can we expect? I know some things you can't talk about. Yeah. But Um, I'm keen to see, like... What's happening next? Because I always get the feeling that there's something up your sleeve.
1: Yeah, so there's definitely something brewing at the moment. I'm just waiting for contracts. Um, so, look, I, I always think that y- you need to evolve in the sport. Um, I don't think I could just be a coach for the rest of my career. Um, I don't think I'm designed for that. Um, look, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm getting older, although I think I'm still in good shape for my 30-plus, for my you know, that. Um, <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> um, I think obviously I'm big into managing in the country. Uh, put on some great events. Well, as you said, work with some incredible promoters, um, the leading promoters all over the world. Uh, all got their numbers. Like an, just a middle class Jewish kid from Milmerton and Cape Town. Like I still I still can't get over it. Like I, I still It's a case like,
0: of you can send uh, Frank Warren or Eddie Hearn a oh, not, text not Frank no I, yeah. But Frank a, Eddie, Eddie, some,
1: um, yeah listen. I've, I've, legend, I've, I've, done, I've done I've done work with uh, with Queensbury, but I mean obviously um, I prefer doing work with, with with Eddie yeah I can send Eddie a text and yeah. say hey what's up how are you <laughs> uh, Frank Smith uh, Bob Arum I've got his number as well but I'm not sure he'd be good on WhatsApp text um <laughs> um Mr. Honda, who I've just done this yeah. incredible deal with, with Heky on, like we, yeah, I mean, he calls me up on my cell phone. So, and it's obviously just great to be doing work with them again. Look, I, I think I'm going to evolve. You know, it's like, it's like Madonna who keeps reinventing herself. I mean, I don't know if you've seen So you've what you had the like pointy
0: at, boobs and now you're moving into. Yeah, I mean, dinner. it's,
1: uh, but it's not going to be <laughs> the point of me kissing you on the show and then, you know, creating, you know, controversy. So, I mean, you're not my type. So it's okay. Um, the coffee is good so yeah so, so i think maybe eventually obviously getting into the promotion mm-hmm. side but i still you know it's yes i still i really still have a passion for coaching like i yeah. really really love coaching i love i love developing athletes i love you know and again being in that corner is you know when you're in that dressing room Someone actually one of my fighters said to me the other day coach do you feel do you get nervous and obviously if it's four rounds, it doesn't matter. You still get that knot in your stomach. And it's that knot that drives me. And it's an indescribable feeling. Um, you know, some fighters have said that feeling's better than an orgasm, to be honest with you. You know, so I'm not I'm not comparing it. I mean that's not me. That don't, but, I, <laughs> but that knot in your stomach when the floor manager says to you, Colin, five minutes. Yeah. And then there's that second knock at the door. It's time for the ring walk. That feeling is indescribable. It's it's a feeling and adrenaline that just can't be matched. And being in that corner and, you know, my one friend, Michael Tamera, who I also want to give props to, said to me, he, he was on a podcast once and they were talking about trainers. And he said, it's Colin, Colin Nathan's like, he's got the controls of a Nintendo game and he's pushing the buttons and the fighters are responding. And I love that because – you know, you can change the complexity of a fight, being in the corner. Mm. You can change the outcome of good corner work. And I showed that in Mexico in September last year with Steven 19 on Chinga, where that clip went viral of we behind. you got nine minutes to turn your life around. And literally, he turned his life around in those nine minutes. It's amazing. Um, so you can. And I love that. And I don't want to lose that. And I'm still very, I still very am hands-on. A big shout-out to Sean Ness, Johan Tritter, and, and Shannon Strader, who are my assistant trainers yeah. in the gym. Uh, we've got a very, very strong training staff and strong team. Um, but I, I'm still very hands-on. Uh, but equally, I'm spending a lot of time in my office making phone calls, yeah. sitting behind my laptop, doing deals. And that, there's now a 50-50 ratio of, of my workload. So 50% on the floor with my athletes, and fifty percent in the office behind lap- my laptop making calls and meetings, mm. and and at, as soon as I've still as, as as long as I've still got that balance, and again I'm winning more than I'm losing, um, I think that's where I'm going to be. Eventually, I will probably get into promoting, but obviously now there's some other stuff that I'm bringing. Um, what I'll do is I'll give you a hint. Like I want to press and push for South African talent to be shown abroad that's one of my objectives for this year. Besides building talent and obviously creating more world champions, I want our South African fighters to have a voice overseas. And I want them to be shown overseas. And I don't think enough's being done. Yes, there's local broadcasts and yes, there's local content. And yes, there are lots of fights. I mean, last year we had a great year for for fight cards in in the country, around around the country. But I think that we deserve, because we have the talent and ability and 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 certainly the the talent to go beyond just winning marginal championships to win legit world championships. I really want our South African fighters to be seen abroad and to have
0: a voice abroad so uh, I'm not sure if this is a fair comparison, but we obviously lost Khari Kuse recently, yeah. and when he fought. The world, the eyes of the world on that heavyweight title fight. And we're seeing that with the Tyson Furies, Deontay Wilders, I mean, the Garcias, you name it. There's there's a lot of these guys in various weight divisions that are capturing the imagination. But do you think we will see a South African capture the imagination? I know Hecky's done it, but I get the feeling like, where's the next one coming from? Yeah.
1: So. So we've never had an African Pacquiao,
0: and that's always been my
1: dream. It's always been my dream for a South African fighter to, do, to be developed, to go to America and whack out an American, or to go to the UK and whack out a UK mm-hmm. fighter and command a pound and command a dollar. That's my dream, Yeah, that's my dream.
0: And we have and the talent. We do have the talent, yeah.
1: we do have the talent. And here's the thing, I'm not gonna stop until that dream's fulfilled. Uh, I know people think I'm crazy, but that's okay. Um, we'll talk about my haters because you haven't asked me about um, them, but well, okay, yeah. is that, that's next. <laughs> that's where we go. And, and I just want, you know, when I die one day, uh, boxing will carry on. It's like when Ali said in 81, when I die, boxing will, will die. Well, sorry, when I retire, boxing will die. He was wrong because boxing has thrived and it's yeah. carried on and we've gone through our dips and, you know, it's always a cycle. The pendulum always swings, as you know. But when I die one day, I want, I want my grandkids and the Nathan name to- Legacy. Do, you know, like I want my grandkids to say, uh, yeah, my grandfather, yeah, he was in boxing. And that's what I live for. Yeah. Um, I, I had a dream and, I, and there was a dream that I never thought would come to fruition until the, the nomination for the, the, the Writers Association was, I wanted to be in the Canistota. I wanted to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Purely for my ego. And I never thought that I'd be good enough or, or, or I could get there. But now I know that I'm headed for that, yeah. that direction. And that's, that's the dream. That's the ultimate dream. To make my mark in South African boxing, to keep changing lives with positive vibes. And you know that's one of my my, my, my hashtags. And, and I just – my love for the sport keeps on growing. I'm going to have more heartbreaks. I'm going to have more disappointments. More haters. Uh, more haters. Um, but that's Okay. You know that's just gonna fuel me to achieve more. So haters fuel you, motivate I, you. Y- you know what? CS, I love guys hating me. Like I know it sounds crazy, but when before I couldn't handle it. Like I would reach out to these guys saying, "Well, like let's chat." And why? Like, now, like if you're gonna say really derogatory stuff about me and you've never met me um, on any platform, oh, I'm gonna block you. That's fine. But it's, keep talking about me. I had a I had a hater out there. Um, Actually, I'm going to mention his name, Timothy Housen, and hated me. Just used to write the biggest load of crap, and I blocked him. And then about three, four months ago, I got this text saying, hey, Colin, it's Tim. And I knew exactly who it was. He obviously changed his number or whatever it was. And he was like, I've got to give it up to you, man. Like, you've done really, really well, and I'm a fan now. Now, we, we mates, you know. Would I have coffee with him? Probably. I don't care. But th- the haters are the people, you know, they're the ones that, who want me to lose. And I get off of that. And look, CS is like this. If everyone liked me or loved me, I wouldn't be doing my job. I know I'm difficult when it comes to boxing. I know when it comes to managing fighters, I'm not easy. I know I can be an asshole, but that's because I want the best for my fighter. And if I want the best for my fighter, that means the whole team succeeds. So it's about the fighter. you know. My ego has been fulfilled. I made world champions, great. So the frontline guy, the star of the show, is always the fighter. The rest of us, we part of the cast. But if the fighter wins, we all win. If the fighter loses, we all lose. And inevitably, when a fighter loses, the first person to look at is the trainer. And you gotta burden some of the responsibility of a loss. And I've always owned up to my losses, and now it's a question of being more mature than I was, and now I can handle it a lot better. But sometimes, I mean, let's be real. No one likes losing. Yeah. It sucks. So I go into my gym every day of my life, and I work with my athletes every day of my life, and I go into my office every day of my life to win. That's what I want to do is to win. And what fuels me, not my competition, is me, myself. It's like, how can I be better than I was today? How can I give better coaching than I did yesterday? How can I send a different a, a email differently to get you an extra 100 Rand? That's how I operate is that i work to win
0: colin nathan i think that's the perfect place to leave it thank you for your time congratulations on a stellar journey so far and all the best for the new chapter in 2023 thank you so much thanks for having me man it's been a great interview i really enjoyed this excellent thanks thanks for your time as always